Tony Pike waits for the snap, has the football, short drop, bobs one down the sideline for Bins. He's got it! Touchdown! Touchdown! Jaron dribbles into the front court, drives to the bucket, his shot, no good. Put back up and in by Trayvon Scott. Cincinnati by one. Down in seven for the Red Hawks with a three-point lead. Game on the line on this play. Ragland waits for the shotgun snap, extends the hands, catches the ball. He's looking to throw from the one. His pass. Intercepted. Yeah. Yeah. to the yeah. end zone. Touchdown. Bearcats. Yeah. Yeah. Bearcats. Picked it off. And Cincinnati has the lead. With one seven to go. Left. Copain driving to the bucket. Bank shot. Around the rim. It's good. It's good. It counts. It's good. And we're going to overtime. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 49 of the Go Beer Cats podcast. As always, I am your host, Brandon, and we have a special football-focused uh, podcast here for you uh, today. It's sort of a, I guess, a, a bonus episode for the week. Don't usually release two episodes in a week, uh, but with the NFL Combine and uh, UC's Pro Day coming up and all roads leading to the NFL Draft, I thought it was time to check back in uh, with our friend Ian Cummings of uh, Pro Football Network. Had him on the show last year before the season to talk about uh, some of the uh, scouting reports that he did. Uh, He writes uh, different uh, players' profiles for Pro Football Network. He had on, um, or he focused on, I should say, um, Sauce and MyJ Sanders, and I think since then he's added Brian Cook. Uh, So, I thought he was a good guy to touch base with and talk about the performances of the Bearcats uh, at the uh, NFL Combine. Some some guys made themselves a lot of money uh, with the performances that they put on, uh, and a couple guys maybe have some more work to do on uh, March 24th at uh, UC's Pro Day. So uh, I'm going to bring him on here uh, right away. You know, before we do that, of course, we have to do beer the podcast. This one, uh, very surprising here as I, as I open it up. It's from New Belgium. It is their Voodoo Ranger series. This one is called Juice Force. It's a double New England IPA. It's nine and a half percent. So be careful. Uh, but this is so good. Uh, it's, it's like a, a tangerine orange flavor all throughout. Uh, me not being a huge fan of, of New England's, this one uh, hits the spot. Uh, I only bought a single of it, but I might have to invest in a six-pack or, or something, see if I can get some more of these. Uh, it's a good lawnmower beer, and at 9.5%, it's a good way to start your day, uh, at least your your drinking day. So I'll be sipping on that throughout the interview. I'm going to bring on Ian here, and, and let's talk uh, about the, the NFL Combine and, and some of the standouts that the Bearcats had there. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a friend of the podcast, Ian Cummings from the Pro Football Network. Uh, we spoke to Ian last before the uh, the Bearcats football season, sometime last summer, I do believe. He wrote some uh, pro, uh, draft profiles for some uh, players. We'll get into that uh, in the interview as well. I think he's added to that since we last talked to him. He's here to tell us more about some performances at the NFL Combine and uh, what to look forward to maybe as Cincinnati has their pro day later this month. So, Ian, how's it going this afternoon? It's going great, man. You know the life by this point. I mean, it's just adding scouting reports, adding scouting reports. I mean, it's just kind of a a conveyor belt. It just keeps moving. But I'm always happy to write up more on guys. And obviously, Cincinnati, a team I remember we spoke during the summer, you know, we knew the talent that this team had, and they kind of surpassed expectations even beyond that, you know, made it to the playoffs. 
and uh, you know it's kind of a, a representation of how much they have. So, and obviously we saw the the combine with how many guys were available there, how many guys tested, and we got even more coming up in the pro day. So I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the last time I talked to you in, um, I after we spoke, I reached out to uh, you know my my uh, group of friends, and I was like, hey, if you guys listen to this podcast, tell me who this guy I interviewed. Tell me who he sounds like. Because like for the last time we spoke for the last for the first like five minutes, I thought because uh, we didn't we didn't have video going, right? So this time we have video going, uh, and last time we just spoke like over the phone basically. We didn't have uh, video, so you sounded like one of one of my good friends, Alex, uh, who lives in Chicago now. So he might listen to the podcast. He's a Bearcats fan, uh, and but your voice sounded so much like him that I thought you. Or he was you just like pranking me or something. And I was like, you guys have to listen to this to make sure like once you got talking, I was like, yeah, this guy knows way more about, you know, the the intricacies of, of, of the sport than what Alex probably would. But uh, I thought I was being punked there for like the first like two or three minutes of our first interview. Uh, so it's good to have a visual now. I know, yeah. you know Alex isn't messing with me. <laughs> and sorry, Alex, about the, the he's catching strays with the football knowledge here. But I mean, it's a uh, it's a. Uh, <laughs> I know it's fun. It's always fun to, you know, see people in person, you know, match the face of the voice and everything. It's it's yeah. fun. You know, I, I, you know, I'm over here looking like a, you know, college kid in my parents' house, but I've got, you know, I try to stay well studied and all that. So it's always a fun time. All right. Yeah. No, uh, no uh, distance to Alex. He's probably more of a Bengals fan than, uh, than a Bearcats fan, but, uh, but, you know, shout out to him if he is listening. Sorry. I thought you were, you know, pranking me last time, but, <laughs> We're we're here. We're we're talking about the the combine. That it might. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily seem like it's old news at this point. Um, as some teams are are having their pro days. I think we just, we found out the Bearcats uh, will have their pro day later on this month around the twenty fourth. Uh, but I, I did want to touch base because the the fan base is so invested in this team. You know the the rise the the historic season. Um, going to the the college football playoff for the first time. And every, well, there's, they just seem to be so you know vested in those players that a lot of people aren't done talking about them yet, and they're certainly uh, had their eye on them as to see you know what what team uh, you know how many will get drafted, which team will take them, uh, and with we had eight participate in the combine. I just kind of wanted to give you give your thoughts. Who stood out for you? Uh, you know, who I mean, maybe even put it in a way that are there any players that made themselves a lot of money by their performances at the combine? Just you know, your 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 thoughts uh, overall on on what we saw uh, over those couple of days. Yeah, well, I think we can start with the obvious one, Sauce Gardner, right? I mean, that guy, yeah, six three. I mean, the, with his size, running as fast as he did, getting a four four one official time. Now, people were saying, you know, yeah, oh, it was a fast track. You know, I I always think there's a little margin for error with these forty times, not just with the human error when you're hand timing it, but also a player who runs a four five can easily make that a four four if they fix their stance a little bit. You know, yeah. I think they have the ability. So that so I think with Sauce, it's a perfectly legitimate four four one. You know, and on top of that, too, I mean, just having the length that he has, 34 and a half inch arms, those arms are longer than Kayvon Thibodeau's, right? That's as long as David Ajabo, right? So, you know, he's got edge rusher arms at corner. And he, the way he can move, moving as fast as he, as he does, you know, I do think a little stiff in the on-field drills, which we expected, right? I mean, the, as big as he is, he's not going to be that extra fluid guy. But I think for his size, he's very fluid. That was one thing that stood out to me on tape was, 
you know, from 2019 to 2020, especially, you know, you don't have to be the most fluid guy to move well enough to match guys. Right. You know, it, it's a lot of technique and footwork goes into it just as well as your athletic makeup. And I think that Gardner really improved that over the course of his career to the point where he is passable in man coverage where he can match guys, you know, against Calvin Austin was really where it kind of stood out to me. Like Calvin Austin is a legit separation factory. This is a guy that's really hard to match. And Sauce Gardner, yeah, he wasn't quite matching him like step for step, right? But he matched him well enough off those off those releases, and then he has the elite recovery speed with his size and speed. So I think Ahmad Gardner is is legitimately, you know, close close to a unicorn at the cornerback position. I know we've got a few of those in this class, but Ahmad Gardner has the highest level of play at the, against the highest level of competition, and I think it's a good chance that he could be the first corner off the board. You know, I think. It's going to be a little bit more geared towards scheme fit for him because of his unique profile. But anyone, especially teams that run a lot of zone cover three, you know, that that could be where he shines. But I do think he's pretty versatile. So I think he, he made some money. Alec Pierce was another one. I mean, looking at his performance, I was really impressed by him. And on tape, Alec Pierce is a guy, you know, you can tell what role he's going to have in the league. He's a boundary guy. I think he has efficient footwork, especially on those slants, right? But what he can do really well, with his athleticism being 6'3", 211, you know, having those 33-inch arms and the 4'4 speed as well, the 40-and-a-half-inch vert, you know, all of that shows up on tape with him being able to explode downfield and stack defensive backs. And then once he's down there, you know, he can track the ball, he can extend with his hands and make those acrobatic catches. He's got that. So I think being that big receiver on the boundary, that X receiver who has efficient enough route running and footwork to separate on his own, you know, on some simple routes, I think he's made made himself a lot of money. I think he could go round two. There's a potential there. All it takes is one team to really like him, and that could be where he goes. I know some guys have more round three, but I think anywhere on that early to mid day two range, Alec Pierce could go off the board. It's a really deep receiver class, a lot of options up front, but Alec Pierce really, you know, he was one of the top testers in a very strong group. So that's definitely one way to get noticed. There were a few others. You know, I know uh, Darian Beavers had some nice testing, especially in the explosiveness, which I think shows up on tape, you know, more of a linear athlete. Not always the best to change of direction, but with his size and that explosiveness, uh, it amounts to pretty good versatility. And then I, just, I thought Majay Sanders had a decent showing. Again, he came in a little underweight. I know he's working his way back up. That's going to be something to watch. But his his bread and butter has always been explosiveness and bend around the edge. And I thought that burst definitely showed up in testing as well. So th those were the first few that came to mind. Overall, I thought Cincinnati had a pretty good showing all around. But Sauce Gardner, Al Pierce, I think those are the guys that you're looking at at the very top. Oh, and, and Desmond Ritter, I almost forgot. I, I completely glossed over him, but he was an elite tester at quarterback, which I know that drew some eyes, which if you watch this tape, you expected it. He's a great athlete, but he really reinforced it. So Desmond Ritter as well. Very nice. Very nice. So let me, let me ask you this is there. So, you know, you hear, you know, the 40 times you hear, um, you know, like, well, people, some people make a big deal out of the the hand measurements or, 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 you know, whatever. Is there like a, an overall grade that these guys get after, after the combine, you know, is like a, you know, a, a zero to a hundred or something where like, this is what they tested and like, they try to like fit them into a category based off of, like the, the compilation of all the stats? Yeah, so I think it, it depends on who you're talking to and it depends on what lens you're looking at it through. Like I know every every NFL team has different athletic and length size thresholds that they prefer in certain positions. Okay. So for instance, like Ahmad Gardner, 
you know, my, he's a really good corner. Don't get me wrong. But if you're a team that prefers smaller, more fluid guys, then his size might take him off the board because, you know, he's just not quite as fluid. Now, I do think he's more than fluid enough, but it's just one of those things. Some teams have size thresholds, especially with, you know, Maje Sanders, too, coming in at the weight that he did. Again, I don't think it's too much of a, of a red flag if he can manage that. But for a team like Green Bay, who prefers edge rushers over 260 pounds, he's probably off the board there. So you got to look at it like every team views it differently. But at the same time, if you're if you're looking for a, a good way to kind of get an understanding of how how players kind of performed in the testing and stuff, uh, my guy Kent Lee Platt, Math Bomb on Twitter, uh, he does the relative athletic scores, the RAS. That's a great resource for you. Uh, it, it's okay. something that kind of compiles their entire athletic makeup, the size, the explosiveness, the agility, the speed, and he, it even breaks down the speed, the forty yard dash into the uh, 10 yard split and the 20 yard split. So you get an idea of the explosiveness there too, but that's a great way. And then it kind of averages all out and you can see how guys tested relative to everyone who's come before them, all the recorded data in the history of the combine. So that's pretty cool. And I know we can circle back to some of the guys who tested for Cincinnati. I know Alec Pierce got a nine, six, three rest. So that means basically he's better than 96.3% of receivers to test uh, okay. in recorded combine history. You know, you could go to a guy like Sauce. I don't know if he had enough to get a full RAS score. I'm going to check right here. Yeah, he didn't have enough. He just ran the 40. But again, I mean, imagine if Sauce got like a 38 inch vertical, something like that. With his size, he'd probably up in the he'd be up in the nine eights, you know, nine nines even. So it's one of those things. And then conversely, you know, let's say a guy doesn't test quite as well, more in the five or six range. That's like an average to above average athlete, but not quite elite. So the RAS is a really good tool for kind of quantifying that. Again, if you're a team, you have different thresholds that you look for, but that's the tool I use. And personally, you know, I put it in the context of the film too. Like, let's say a guy I really like, I really thought he was explosive on tape, tested like a six or a seven. So not quite as, as good as I expected. You know, I'm not just going to discount that and go with the combine. I think you have to put the tape first. So that's what I do. Okay. Usually if you watch, usually if you analyze and, you know, honestly watch and take in, you know, objective observation. Usually you're going to have a pretty good understanding of what to expect from a player coming in. You know, sometimes there's surprises, but usually if you watch the tape, you get an understanding. But RAS is the way to go, I think, if you're looking for a one-stop resource to figure that stuff out. All right, very good. So, well, you know, I kind of brought these uh, these different measurements or different categories up. Um, some of them, uh, I've heard uh, people talk about some some radio personalities even here in, in Cincinnati that they're a little goofy, maybe, you know, like the hand measuring or the the broad jump even. So what are the teams doing with numbers from these different categories? Like, like you know, I'm, I'm sure there's always a, you know, an exception to the rule if some guy with, uh, I think Joe Burrow even said, uh, you know, he was retired. He tweeted out after the combine that he was retiring from football because he had tiny hands or something. Uh, so what, like, what's what's the purpose uh, with those sort of numbers that teams are looking for? Yeah, you know, every number is different. You know, that's kind of the interesting thing about this is every number tells a different story, and you know, it takes a lot to kind of parse through it and see what exactly it's telling you. So I think. That's the, you know, that's the key. That's the ultimate science of the combine is kind of looking at that for hand size specifically, because I know that's been made an issue for quarterbacks. Desmond Ritter didn't have a problem with that. 10 inch hands is kind of where you want to be, but maybe for a guy like Kenny Pickett, it's been the talk of the, you know, the, the, yeah. the entire talk for uh, through the entire offseason, Right. So I think with, with hand size, it, it's more of a, you know, anecdotal in that sense where there's not a lot of quarterbacks who have succeeded with sub nine inch hands. You look at the historical data, it just doesn't show up. You know, like usually 
NFL quarterbacks are in that nine to 11 inch range. 11 is like on your, your range in super big there. So usually it's like, usually it's around nine and a half to 10 and a half. That's kind of the common range. Uh, but you know, below nine and a half is almost unheard of. It's just, you know, it's just statistical evidence, you know, going back to, you know, the seventies, I think there's only been like three or four guys to measure in uh, under eight and a half or whatever. And now Kenny Pickett has eight and a half. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where logically thinking about it, if you have smaller hands, you might not be able to grip the football quite as tight. You know, yeah. you can't get as much surface area on it. So, you know, logically thinking that way, that's one way that it could impact it. But, you know, me personally, you know, I don't have that on hand experience for that. But it's one of those things where you look at the historical data and how rare it is. And that is something that some teams factor in. And I know some teams definitely have thresholds for that hand size where you've got to be above nine inches. You know, Joe Burrow, it was an issue for him, like you said, at nine inches and Joe, and Kenny Pickett's at eight and a half. So that kind of exacerbates it. Right. So but it, it goes back to what I said. Every team looks for thresholds and every one of these numbers communicates a different thing. Like if you have a small hand size, maybe that means you can't grip the football as well, can't get as much velocity at the NFL level. You know, if you go to the 40, that's more kind of, you know, contextualizing your straight line speed, your explosiveness in open field. Now, how often does a guy run 40 yards straight, straight in the line in the NFL? Not very often, but it is a good under, it, it does give a good understanding of what they can do in that situation. Just like straight line speed. How fast can you go? How quick are you off the, off the stance, you know, and the explosiveness drills, broad jump vertical. I like to think they both kind of measure how quickly you can gear up. But broad jump to me is a little more lateral explosiveness. Vertical is a little more, you know, kind of leaping up into the air. How high can you get? Although it does factor in for the on-field stuff too. Uh, and then the agility drills. How quickly can you change direction? Explode out of those direction changes, right? That's another one too. How, how tightly can you corner without losing your balance and losing acceleration? Uh, so every, every drill, you know, and even the on-field drills, like moving, you know, flipping your hips, kind of responding to where the coaches are getting you to go. That's just kind of on-field mobility they all measure something different that that's kind of the fun part of the combine is recontextualizing it with every drill and seeing what it's telling you. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, whatever, especially the measurements like hand size, arm size, a, a certain measurement might give you a functional advantage or disadvantage to another person. Like with a hand size, again, you might not be able to grip the football as well, or let's say an edge rusher with 34 inch arms compared to 32 on the field. If you've got 34 inch arms, you have a longer reach, you can reach the contact point quicker and your longer arms can maybe provide a, be a better conduit for power. So there's different advantages that each number provides you. You can't just go off the numbers. You gotta, you gotta take the next step and, you know, see what those advantages or disadvantages are. But that's the fun part about it. It's kind of, you know, getting those numbers down and then taking the next step. So, and then, you know, so as I, uh, as I look through the different numbers that each guy you know, put up and you, and you mentioned that, that sauce, he really only, only like drill or, or, or the thing that he did was the 40 yard dash, but there's, you know, there's, you know, six or seven other different categories that you can compete in or, or show off in what's, what's the thought process behind just doing one specific drill uh, as compared to going through the whole process? Yeah. And I think it's different for every prospect, you know, like some guys like Evan Neal, right. He didn't test in anything because we, we don't need to, we don't need to know more there. Like you watch his head, you know, he's an elite athlete, you know, it's just, it's proven on tape. I think with sauce Gardner, you know, maybe, and I, I could be totally wrong. Maybe he runs the, uh, for a lot of prospects, it's this, right. I mean, I know a lot of guys opted out of the three cone, especially this year and the agility is because 
there was some blowback about how the combine was structured, you know, event after event after event. By the end, by the agilities, some guys were gassed and couldn't run it at 100%, couldn't run it at their best, right? So some guys are kind of tabling that for the pro day, waiting for when they're most prepared to do it the best they can, because you get one shot at the end of the day, you wouldn't want to try and overdo it and kind of hurt yourself, right? Like you don't want to set yourself back. So for a lot of prospects, it's kind of a business decision to do that, to kind of set it off until later. Some guys never run it. And that can be considered a red flag. Like maybe for a guy like Gardner, let's say if I'm a, if I'm a coach who doesn't like Gardner, I'm like, Oh, he didn't run three cone. That's because he's not agile. It's because he's not fluid. Right. He's trying to, he's trying to hide that. Right. But I do think, it's a business decision for each guy because if you can, if you think you you're, you can't run it at 100% at the combine and you think you can at the pro day, then there's nothing stopping you from waiting until the pro day. And I think that's ultimately the best business decision for you. So I think that's what it boils down to for a lot of guys is just kind of waiting until you have the opportunity to run it the best you can. You know, and the same goes for 40s or verticals or bench press, you know, just giving you a little more time to prepare, a little more time to be at your very best. And, I, you know, that's kind of how it is. I mean, you only get a certain amount of time to prove yourself to these NFL teams and get that numbers up. You know, if you run it at the combine when you're not fully prepared, you're not, you know, your stamina's, you're kind of tired a little bit after a long day and you run a bad time that can hurt your stock. So it's a, it's a big risk to take. And I would definitely, I can, I can see why a lot of players would kind of play it safe as opposed to take those risks. So that's one. And then it does go down to, you know, sometimes if you're a player that's not very agile or not very explosive, you know, you do forego those tests. Maybe you just do the bench press because you're a strong guy, right? There is a little bit of that selectiveness if you're a player that's limited in a certain area. But at the end of the day, if you're a player who's pretty well-rounded or has that ability, you know, it does benefit you to get those numbers out there. So I think for a lot of guys, it's waiting until the pro day and seeing what they can do then. Okay, very nice. And uh, so let me ask you, let's talk about uh, Majay Sanders here uh, for a second. He, he came in... Uh, like probably i think he was down like 20 pounds uh i think it, it's been reported uh by some people who cover the bearcats a little more in depthly than i do that he had been sick prior to the combine and that might have uh, contributed to it uh, i know that he tweeted out uh, a picture or a video of himself getting on a scale and he was back up uh to what people expected him to be um but what is you know what does he have to do for the pro day to make up for the uh, what some would say was, was a poor showing or a disappointing showing for him at the combine yeah i think the biggest thing is just maintaining the numbers that he got at the combine at that higher weight i, I do think because i think he measured in around the 240s at the senior bowl too and he was a standout at the senior bowl he was disruptive all week uh you know a little bit underweight but getting that speed to power he can definitely do that he can hold the edge for a smaller frame he's a little bit more wiry so i think he is stronger than people give him credit for um i just think you know even at the combine even sick even underweight you know, he still ran a four, six, seven, had a had a one twenty inch broad jump, which again, that's good for a defensive end. That's what you're looking for, right? So I think for him, uh, is just getting healthy, staying at that weight. I think I saw the video too. It looked like he was around like two forty seven, right? I so that that's right. that's where you want to be if you're his style player. You know, you're not the uh, the hulking defensive end, but you're an explosive, bendy edge rusher who can get around the edge. You know, kind of out finesse tackles, but then you've got a little physicality to you too, where you can get in their torso and use that speed to generate power. You know, because that's really what it is. You know, some guys have natural power, but from what I've seen, a lot of it is artificial too. Like if you can build up that momentum and kind of leverage it into force by using your arms. And he's not the longest guy. You know, I think he has good proportional length, but 32.58 is a little bit below average. Again, not a liability, 
uh, it's longer than Aiden Hutchinson's. So, but it is a little below average. So some teams might knock him for that, but as long as he can use that effectively, which I think he can, it's not an issue. So I think the biggest thing for Sanders is keeping that weight up, you know, maybe come to the pro day. If you're at 247, I think that's golden. I think you're right where you need to be and then run, you know, show that you can, and he might stick with some of his combine numbers, to be honest with you. You know, I don't think he put up bad numbers, but if he, if he feels healthier at the pro day, if he thinks he can put up better numbers, then, you know, absolutely. I would take a shot at doing that. Obviously there's the risk of maybe pulling a hamstring during the 40. So I, I would understand if he didn't just because there is that risk of getting injured. But at the same time, there are questions about whether he can maintain that at the higher weight. So for Sanders, it would do him good to maybe put up, you know, same or better, slightly better numbers. You know, if he's fully healthy, if he's at the at the weight he's going to be in the NFL, there is something for him there. If he doesn't test, I don't think it's going to hurt him a ton. I still think he's kind of in that day two range. I don't think he's going to leave there because he was very good at the senior bowl. He really left an impression there where he was being consistently disruptive, getting around guys and getting inside the torso, leveraging that power. So I don't think, you know, I think his stock is pretty inelastic right now. If I can use an economic term, I sure. don't think there's going to be, you know, I don't think there's going to be a ton of movement based on what he does or doesn't do with the pro day. Um, it's just one of those things where I think he's a, he's a potential top 100 guy, no matter how you spin it. You know, maybe if he doesn't run the pro day, maybe he slips down to like the 90s or something. But I do think there's enough there on tape at the Senior Bowl where he's pretty solid, pretty stable. And he put up good enough numbers while sick. Again, the size is going to be an issue for some teams. But put him at 3-4 outside linebacker where he has that space to work with. I think you're golden. I think he's I think he's pretty he's pretty solid where he needs to be right now. All right. Very nice. So, uh are there, uh, you know, out of the eight guys, you know, some of them we, we haven't uh, haven't even really mentioned yet, like uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, what, uh, not specifically just him, but are there others uh, on the list that participated that have work to do on their pro day that, that you think they need to come out and have a, a stronger showing to to be where they need to be on draft day? Yeah, so I think I think you know most guys kind of perform pretty well. I wanted to see Brian Cook perform. Uh, he didn't test at the combine. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I was looking forward to seeing because I didn't think he was an elite athlete on tape. Again, I think he has pretty good burst, good enough to be a a solid starter in the, in the right role. I kind of envision him as more of a big slot, strong safety hybrid type deal, kind of like Cameron Curl or Jordan Fuller. Some of those guys that have come out in recent years, but. I did want to see him test, so I'm hoping Brian Cook, we see a little bit more of him. Uh, if we don't, you know, maybe teams look at that like, oh, he's trying to hide something, which, again, I don't subscribe to that very often because there are risks that go with testing, so I'm not going to knock a guy if he decides not to. But, I mean, the tape is there for everyone to see, so you can get a good impression there. But I would like to see some numbers from him and just see, just quantify what exactly is going on there. I think Jerome Ford, I expected him to test a little bit better at the combine. I know he had a 4.46. I saw a little bit faster speed on tape, and mm -hmm. especially at a combine where people are saying it's a fast track, right? That might look a little bad in context. But again, I mean, it's a 4.46. If you're a running back, you know, I don't really, like, I don't want to say I don't care, but it's not as important. I think what's more important for running back is having that explosiveness to shoot through those gaps and hit those gaps quickly. You know, I don't think you need four or three speed to be a good to be a good running back. That gets overblown a little bit. That said, Jerome Ford also uh, he also had a 31 inch vertical and a 118 inch broad jump. So again, that explosiveness was not quite as good as we were expecting either. So I think Jerome Ford is one guy that could benefit from you know giving it a second go around at the pro day. You know, kind of boosting those numbers a bit because I do think he has it in him to improve that. Uh, I, I would like to see that too, because I, I saw a little bit better athleticism on tape 
and coming in at 210 pounds, I was like, I think that's good size for him. But I just I wanted to see a little bit more. So I think that'll be a good opportunity for him. I think Darian Beavers is a guy. Now, I thought he tested pretty well, especially the three cone. I was really impressed with the three cone from Beavers getting that six, nine, one, you know, especially at his size. You know, there are some moments on tape where he's a little stiff laterally, where he struggles to recover, recover sometimes. So I think Darian Beavers is a guy who really, I think he showed out, you know, I think getting that three, six, five in the vertical and the, in the one twenty five inch broad, you know, I maybe want to see a 40 from him, but again, I thought he performed pretty well. So, yeah, I, I really think looking at it across the board, I think maybe Kobe Bryant, but again, you know, he, he didn't test in everything. He got the, uh, the four, five, four, 40, the 17 bench reps, which is really good for a corner 17 bench reps that shows that you're pretty strong. And he shows that too, that competitive toughness, that strength at the catch point. Uh, he's definitely got that. I would like to see maybe some, you know, some agility drills, some explosiveness drills from Kobe Bryant at the pro day. Cause again, he's not quite the athletic talent that, that uh, sauce Gardner is. So just one of those, but again, you know, I think a lot of these guys, you can look back at the tape as a reference and say, he's got enough on tape for me to say, I'm, I'm going to take him no matter what he tests, right? Like, it's just a matter of where does he settle in on the draft board? But for a guy like Kobe Bryant, I mean, he's got the, the instincts, he's got enough fluidity, you know, again, maybe not quite the explosive talent that Gardner is, but can be a very solid player. You know, the, the testing results are really just for quantifying that, but you always want to trust the tape first. I think a lot of these guys, the tape is working in their favor. Uh, I think Kobe Bryant, uh, Jerome Ford are two guys that could use the pro day to their advantage. Brian Cook, too. But all in all, I think the Cincinnati class is in pretty good standing right now. Very nice. Good stuff here. You know, I appreciate this. Let me let me ask you uh, one more question that's uh, like more, you know, UC driven, UC focused. And then I got a couple questions for you just about, uh, you know, college football in general, if that works. So, uh, how have you seen or how have your impressions changed uh, about UC players since last summer, given the, the uh, you know, the season that, that they had this past season? And then how have you seen maybe the perspective of other people in your profession or, you know, that you interact with has, you know, how has it changed for them as well? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, and me personally, I always try to, um, go above school affiliation in my in my analysis like you never want to scout the helmet right you never want to say like there's a big movement uh i know ohio state quarterbacks right like you look at terrell Pryor, some of the past ones who didn't work out and then obviously some guys obviously is you know automatically assumed justin fields wasn't going to work out and you know to be fair he had a bit of a rocky rookie season but hopefully he can recover but you know that point aside when you're analyzing these guys when they're coming out in the draft process and you don't know how they're going to work out you can't look at that school affiliation and say, yeah, you know, it's not going to work out. Look at the past Ohio State quarterbacks. You never want to do that, right? So I try I try to come into it without much expectation for a school. Now, obviously, you have some schools like Alabama where, yeah, okay, we know they're talented, right? But, yeah, I think Cincinnati is one team where, you know, I, I did come away from the season a little bit more, more impressed, you know, getting exposed to them more and more. And I knew they were a strong team coming in. You know, like I was a fan. I remember I was talking with you, Josh Wiley, one of my guys early on. You know, I was a big fan of him. But, you know, I do think Cincinnati, they earned some respect this year. You know, I was very impressed with them. And we knew they had a strong leadership on the offensive side of the ball. Desmond Ritter coming back again was really big for them to provide that stability. But defensively, too. I mean, they got guys at every level on the defensive line, you know, not even just my Jay Sanders, you know, Malik Van Curtis Brooks, you know, on the interior line, you know, uh, pace was a guy who caught my eye a couple of times along with Darian Beavers. And then in the secondary, you know, not just sauce, not just Kobe Bryant, 
not just Brian Cook, but Javon Hicks. I mean, Arquan Bush. They have a ton of solid players. It was a very deep roster, uh, a roster that wasn't just buoyed by by star talent, but actually had pretty solid talent all around. So I was really impressed by that with Cincinnati. Again, I never want to just scout the helmet, right? And that's also why I, I avoid same school comps when I'm comping guys, just mm-hmm. because I think, you know, as human beings, we naturally try to associate you know, like if you see a guy in an Alabama uniform and another guy in an Alabama uniform, you're naturally going to see them as kind of similar because they're in that same uniform. So I try to avoid same school comps. But, you know, going back to Cincinnati, I, I do think they earn some respect. And especially me, you know, coming back into this next season, they are a team that I'm going to be looking at to maybe produce more draft talent down the road. I was, you know, very impressed with them. And especially, you know, Ahmad Gardner, he was one of my first scouting reports. So I was like, all right, this kind of set the tone. Like Cincinnati's here for real. Uh, the playoffs, the playoff showing kind of confirmed that. Obviously, didn't go their way, but Alabama's a tough match, man. And I thought they performed admirably. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do in the future. Definitely good stuff. And you know, you you bring up your scouting reports. Uh, so how does that work for you now that you know? I mean, spring ball at least for UC is, is has started. And so do they? Um, do you just like sort of add to your your catalog that you've you know that you've already you know established in, in years past, or do you start over with a, a new list for the new prospects? How does that work for you know your focus going into the summer and and then the end of the season? Yeah, it's really interesting, and admittedly, it's something I'm still working on. Like this is my I think this is like my it's my second full time year, my first full time year with PFM, my second year like doing the work full time. Uh, I was a contractor early on, but, you know, so I'm, I'm still pretty early in the process. So I'm trying to figure out how to transition from year to year. Uh, I do think, you know, there is a lot of freedom for you during this this year to kind of write down names that catch your eye. So that coming in, you have that that ongoing list. Like I've got a list kind of, in, you know, that I've got of players that caught my eye so I can kind of get to them quicker. And on Cincinnati, there's a couple guys who I wrote down, Pace being one of them, you know, guys who, you know, kind of stood out to you a little bit more. So you're looking at, all right, when I'm looking at this team, this is who I'm expecting to kind of put up a solid performance. Josh Wiley being another, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you do do that work ahead of time just to kind of make it easier for you. So you're not starting from a clean slate. But at the same time, there is a bit of a clean slate aspect because every team's roster makeup is different coming into the next year than it was the year before. So there are like there's transfers, obviously, you know, there's guys who kind of come out of nowhere like David Ajabo. I mean, last year, the year before this year, he was like a backup, like, like a jack linebacker, like barely, like sometimes playing off ball, right? And he barely had any stats. And then he explodes for 10 sacks, right? Or 11 sacks. So it's one of those things, like there's guys who come out of nowhere sometimes. So you do have to recalibrate a little bit because the the standing of the roster is very fluid. It's not static. It changes very often. But I do try to write up names early on when I can, just to kind of make the work a little bit easier. So I know a little bit of what to expect. Uh, it's, it's really nice. It's really easy because like I could be watching a mod gardener. And then like, oh, who's that linebacker number 20? He's, he's you know, he's, he's making some plays, right? Go to the roster for reference, look up the name, write it down. And then you got it in the banks for next year. I think it's a very fluid system. It's a very free system in that sense. Uh, so I try to do that when I can, but I got to focus on this class right now. In May, you know, you get a chance to reset a little bit and then it's on to the next year and you have the names right at the top of the list for you to address. Very nice. Very nice. So let me, let's switch directions here just for a second. Let me ask you, is, uh, is there any way forward for an expanded playoffs? That's an interesting question, man. And it's something that, you know, <laughs> I know people have strong opinions about this. I personally, I'm on the fence. And also, I mean, I could see it. I, I would like it, to be honest with you. But I also understand 
the re- the potential redundancy for it. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of parity in the playoffs. You go every year, you know, and no, like I'm not, I do think Cincinnati deserved to be there. Like I, I was never in the camp where they didn't deserve to be there. But you look at a team like Alabama, a team like Georgia, it really looked like it was going to beat them in the final. That just kind of looked like I was going to be. So I do think, you know, I would love it personally. I love more teams getting the playoffs. I think just having four in a 120 team field is maybe a little too slim. If you can get it up to eight, you know, I love that. And it's college football. Anything can happen, right? You can have upsets. Right. I do think, though, th- there is a bit of a lack of parity at the top, especially what we've seen the past few years. That would be my only concern. But as far as I'm concerned, man, I mean, we're getting into March Madness right now. we got 64 teams up on deck, right? So, you right. know, I would love that aspect of it. Obviously, in football, you know, it's not that simple. You can't have Alabama playing UAB or whatever. It's just not how it works, right? you got to get the best of the best in there. But I do think, you know, there is enough room for maybe adding eight teams. The only concern I have is, like, it does seem like there's not a ton of parity to suggest that there's eight potential national champions, I, I think, this year. A lot of people were in the camp that it was either going to be Alabama or Georgia, even going back to the, the SEC championship, you know, where it, that we kind of knew we had a pretty good feeling that this was a premonition of the national championship. So there is a lack of parity at the top. But again, you've got teams like Cincinnati. They're building talent. You know, they're kind of on the uptrend. Obviously, I want to see how they replace Desmond Ritter because he was a very, very, uh, a very vital component of that team. But, you know, there are teams like Cincinnati that are trending up, that are building, that are kind of getting more respect on the recruiting trail and adding more guys. You know, that's the key right there. You got to set the bedrock, the foundation. And if you can continue to build on that, you know, it's not my place to say that a team like Cincinnati can't be like Georgia or, you know, in like five to 10 years. Right. So it's very fluid. Again, it's up to them to kind of take advantage of that. I do think it's fluid right now. The parity isn't quite there, but I could see a scenario where, Teams are starting to build, grow, and eventually reach that level. Uh, I don't think it'll be right away, but like I said, five to ten years, we may reevaluate. All right, very nice. I know you know the Bearcats start off the season this year at Arkansas, uh, and you know just knowing about what I know about the team and our our god awful conference schedule that, that that was released a couple weeks ago. The, the conference, you know, we're on our way out, so they didn't do us any favors, uh, especially with the home schedule. But I, I, I've said that I'm confident enough that if the Bearcats can go 1-0, they can go 12-0. Uh, but that's a very tall task. First week, new quarterback, whether it's, um, you know, what, whether it's Ben Bryant or it's, you know, Evan Prater uh, behind center. At Arkansas is going to be a, a tall task, but I know we're all ready to get back into in the football season, especially after a lackluster basketball season here for the Bearcats. Um, but, you know, with the football fever of going to the playoffs carried over straight into the, the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl, that was a, a fun ride as someone who's not been a Bengals fan, uh, you know, at all in, you know, my 33 years of existence. Uh, and, of course, everyone wants the Bengals to go offensive line to, for, you know, for the love of God, protect Joe Burrow. Uh, they have the 31st pick this year in the draft. Where do you see them going? What direction do you see them going with that pick? Yeah, offensive line is the first one that shows up to me. <laughs> I mean, obviously, right. I mean, you got to protect Joe Burrow, I think. And not just protecting him, too, but giving him more time to work, you know, mm-hmm. like, like keeping him clean, obviously. I mean, he's a franchise quarterback. He's obviously very talented, you know, giving him but not just protecting him and keeping him, you know, preserved health wise, but also giving him more time to work, kind of be more comfortable in the pocket. Maybe you can process a little bit faster. You know, obviously, he put a lot on his shoulders, evading pressure, you know, 
managing space and kind of buying himself more time. But if you have a better offensive line, you can kind of take some some of that work off his shoulders and maybe free him up to be more dynamic elsewhere. So I do think offensive line is a big area to address, either tackle or guard. You know, at that spot, I think you can upgrade at both spots. Um, Jesse Bates, I gotta look. I gotta look up. I haven't been. I know there's been franchise tags. Has he, has he been tagged yet, Jesse Bates, or no? I've I have not heard either way. I, yeah, I, I feel as though I would have somewhere along the line, uh, but I don't. I have not been paying that close of attention. Yeah, I got you. I, I think I remember they were working towards it, but I'll have to double check. But if they don't tag Jesse Bates, if he doesn't return, uh, then safety would be an option there. Lewis Seen is a guy that tested really well at the NFL Combine. Uh, he could be one. I, I like that fit a lot. Corner is one. I know Chidobi Awuzie had a very good season. I think he's really underrated. Mike Hilton in the slot, too. I think you've got two really good options there. But you can get another guy in the boundary. You know, Eli Apple, you know, he, he had some plays on the ball. But, again, really streaky. That's well documented, right? I think you yeah. can upgrade, get more solidity there. And I think this corner class presents you a great opportunity to do that. If a guy like, you know, I don't expect Kyrie Elam to be there, but he's one of my favorite guys. You know, maybe not – I don't expect the Mod Gardner to be there either, but maybe, you know – if there's value there, obviously this corner class is very strong. I think it's very strong at the top too. So Kyir Elam, uh, Trent McDuffie is another one. Roger McCreary, although you probably want more length on the boundary if you're the Bengals. So maybe not McCreary, maybe Kyir Elam would be a very good fit if he's there. Uh, but I do think offensive line corner, those are probably the top options for me at that point. If I'm, if I'm Cincinnati um, edge rusher, you know, maybe I, I think you got, you've got enough. You got Trey Hendrickson, you got Joseph Asai coming back who I was a big fan of him coming out. I really hope he gets back to hundred percent because I was a big fan of his tape. Uh, you know, I think there's, there's options there, but, and the good part is there's a lot of depth that at positions of need in this class. So if you're Cincinnati, there's really no pressure to reach, just maybe take the best guy available at those positions. I think in my last mock, I had, um, UCLA's Sean Ryan going to them at that pick. So uh, a, a really physical tackle, very athletic guy, uh, strong, really good core strength. But he probably translates best to guard because he's got, you know, a little shorter arms. But I think he can be a really, really good player there. So I think if you're Cincinnati, just play the board. If there's a really good offensive lineman there, take him. If there's a really good corner, take him. If you don't bring back Bates and there's a safety, take him. Uh, because you know on day two or even early day three, you could get very good value at these positions. So I think if you're Cincinnati, the board is strong enough at a lot of different areas where you can kind of just play the board, see what happens. All right, very good. Ian, that's really all that I have here for you. You've been great again. It certainly gave us a lot of uh, insight and stuff to to uh, you know dive into as we uh, look forward to, to the pro day coming up later this month. Anything else you want to add or, or shout out? Uh, of course, you got to tell us where people can find you on Twitter uh, and some of your uh, scouting reports that you do as well. Yeah, so I mean, just anything to add, I guess I'm really excited to see what Cincinnati's got in store, you know, not just for the draft. I really I'm intri intrigued to see because I do think some guys like Al Pierce, Myjay Sanders, even Darian Beavers are guys that, you know, have a pretty wide range of where they're going to go. Kobe Bryant, too. You know, these are guys, Joe, Jerome Ford, even, honestly. Like, these are guys who, you know, at their peak projection, all it takes is one team to like them and they could sneak into like the top 50, you know, where we don't really expect them to. You know, there's always wild card picks like that. You could also see some of them sneaking into day three because the value isn't just good. I don't think that'll happen with Alec Pierce or uh, Myjay Sanders, but we've seen crazier things. I mean, as draft analysts, we talk about what we expect and usually 
we're pretty close, right? But there's always a couple surprises. So I, I guess just keep your options open, you know, because there, there's a lot of, there's millions of outcomes and we don't know what's going to happen. So, but I'm excited to see where these guys land. I think in the right situation, you can see, you know, this could be one of the most productive Cincinnati draft classes in history. So that's, that's a fun thing. A lot of players too. I think Desmond Ritter is a lot for round one at this point, by the way, he's done a really good job this off season, but you know, really excited to see how these guys perform. If you want to see the scouting reports, I got a, I got a pin thread on my profile on Twitter where you can see them. You know, I think I've written up uh, Brian Cook, Ahmad Gardner and Maje Sanders those are the three that I've written up. So you can check those at, at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. And then my guy Ali's got the rest of them. He's over at uh, OJ Hodgkinson and uh, PFN is PFN365. So that's where you can find all our content. We got a draft guide we just released. We'll have version two out in uh, April, I think. And then we've got the mock draft simulator. We just updated that today, actually. So, you know, get some mocks in. I think we moved up a couple of Cincinnati guys. So that's a fun one. But, you know, just a lot of draft content. It's the best time of year. And I always appreciate the chance to come on and talk with you. Awesome, definitely. You know, maybe we'll check back in after um, after pro day or or right before the draft to see what uh, you know some of these final standings are or mm-hmm. some final thoughts. Uh, and but if at the very least, uh, once you get some more of those scouting reports, we'll certainly have you on to talk about those as well. Yes, sir. I know the pro day as well. You know, there's always guys that weren't invited to the combine that you know actually put up some good numbers. So I'm really excited to see who those depth guys are for Cincinnati that kind of you know show the world, hey, don't don't sleep on me. I've got it. I got what it takes too. Awesome. Definitely. It's even more for us to look at, look out for. So, Ian, I appreciate it, sir. I think we can, we can leave it there. Uh, and we'll, we'll definitely check back in here in the near future.